A reading from the 12th chapter of the book of John. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Good morning. That was better than the first service. (laughs) I'm really happy to be here with you all. Um, And uh, Herb told me that I had 15 to 18 minutes to preach this morning. So I did a very good thing. Um, I prepared, what was it in the first service? Somewhere between a 38 and 42 minute sermon for you all. So settle in. Thank you all for being here. You can't really be a good pastor unless you have a good congregation to give uh, you know, questions, comments, and critical inquiry afterwards. So I look forward to having conversation with you all. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Creator and loving God, grant now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts might be acceptable to you. The one who calls us into mission to a world that needs us. The one who takes us outside our comfort zones and the one who is our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In 1960, Bishop James C. Baker was asked to provide a memoir of his first years in ministry in Champaign, Illinois. Baker, an Illinois native, had grown up in and around the corn and soybean fields that make up much of the central Midwest. The son of a Civil War chaplain, Baker would enter the ministry in the early 1900s and in 1908 would become pastor of Trinity Methodist Episcopal Church just across the street from the University of Illinois. Within a few years, it had become quite clear to Baker that something was needed beyond the scope of his local church. Half of his congregation each Sunday, week by week and day by day, were in fact college students walking across the street. Baker realized that a key component of his work on and in this community would be to create a space in which students themselves would have something slightly different, a space in which they could experience within their own community what it was that they were experiencing in these moments and time on their college campus. And it was with the support of his congregation that on October 13th of 1913, the Wesley Foundation at the University of Illinois was launched. Baker, in describing this process in his 1960 book, The First Wesley Foundation, An Adventure in Higher Education, which is somewhere buried in my 16 boxes of books that are still not unloaded, uses a phrase that I've come to carry with me for these last 11 years of my work in this field. He describes the Wesley Foundation as the laboratory from which the future church shall come, a place in which, for him, the experimentation of individual and collective faith and wisdom was playing out in both real time and in hopefulness for the future of the church. This is where we stand this morning, 104 years and two days post Baker's launch of the Wesley Foundation. And while much has changed in these 104 years, something about Baker's plan to support the campus should not. In fact, campus ministry as a church and campus ministry as a field has been threatened in the United Methodist Church and in many denominations 
for much of the past four decades since the 1970s. But the past 20 years have seen the most drastic decline in support for these ministries, and the question that I ask myself is why? Oftentimes, campus ministry has been seen as not really viable, as something that, because it's not self-sustaining, is not often worth the support of its churches. Lack of numbers, perhaps, has been seen because of evangelical Christian groups on campus having large numbers of individuals. And in certain campuses, aging buildings that require significant repairs have become too cumbersome, and instead the church has chosen to sell off properties and often close ministries. And of course, we might actually say that the, that the simple challenges of a struggling church could also be to blame. But I would also say that part of this challenge and part of the struggle for us has been the lack of vision that we have of Baker. We wander around in our denominations hopefully, hoping to build communities that unfortunately oftentimes are just homogenous to what we already believe. We expect people to come to us, not for us to go to them. And in so believing those things, we lose our missional approach to the church, a mission that is to be with a group of foreigners that we called college students on a foreign land called college campuses. We miss the imperative of being a mission and vision to perhaps the most important agency for change in the American landscape, that being higher education. But when Bishop Baker launched the Wesley Foundation at the University of Illinois, he knew almost immediately that he needs to support the larger needs and concerns of the campus as much as the students themselves. And when they launched campus ministry, they did not call themselves student ministers to campus, but rather campus ministers envisioning this larger missional and comprehensive dream. Those issues in today's 21st century might include the need to meet the needs of those most marginalized in our society who are kept away from our doors and who struggle to find access to higher education. But for those students on the campuses to help them finish school and overcome financial, emotional, and logistical challenges that come for almost any student, especially in the 21st century, in serving and being a part of a four to six year experience where most of them are not able to go, to, to go and achieve financial freedom over the four to six years and go steadily in debt further and further. But also, there is a sense that a byproduct of our work on campus might be to support the mental health of our students, to both get them to be a stable place where they can find communities of support through the trying time, to also be civically engaged with a world that needs them. These communities that we foster and create, these Wesley Foundations, these congregations that we have, they must also be diverse, moving from homogenous belief systems where only we structure them to believe what we're looking for and instead to create spaces in which those students and those communities might challenge the mold and might create something anew. That's the laboratory, perhaps. Research has shown us that faith communities, healthy faith communities that allow for de deepening of thought and curiosity of thought actually have significant role to play in some of these larger concerns that universities are looking at. 
The famous UCLA study of spirituality in higher education has found that students that are in healthy, religiously practicing communities have decreased issues and concerns around mental health concerns, are increasingly having better rates of retention and persistence in higher education, and have better overall college satisfaction than the normal student who hasn't found a community in which to serve and to be a part of during their time. Baker knew that the ministry to campus was vital. And while the students would be the most visible markers of its success, they were not to be the only ones. And Don Shockley, former Associate General Secretary for the United Methodist Church and author of a 1989 book, Campus Ministry, The Church Beyond Itself, sums this statement up quite well by saying, Regardless of how many students pass through the doors, no campus ministry which has failed to take a careful look at the university it serves and which has never entered into serious dialogue with the stated goals of the institution can be considered successful. Unless, of course, the insulation of faith from the challenge of art and intellect is the church's objective in that place. Oftentimes, I believe that we as a church has down, have downplayed these concerns over the last few years instead on focusing to make ourselves into churches that bring more Methodists or in other denominations, just insert your denominational title here. But we have a theological narrative for this larger scope of things, for this larger hopeful vision. And we hear them when we look at these references that we speak of today in our gospel canon. In the, in the vision from the Hebrew canon this morning, we hear from the prophet Ezekiel, who is a prophet with the people who are struggling through quite, quite barren times, feeling ostracized from their own land, taken out from their own places of being. Ezekiel sees a vision and is taken out by God into a valley of dry bones in the midst of a very hopeless state. And God says to Ezekiel, Ezekiel, can these bones live? And the response from Ezekiel is, oh God, you know. And God says back to Ezekiel, prophesy to the bones and later prophesy to the breath. And the hopefulness and the possibilities that Ezekiel sees in this valley of dry bones being resurrected and reborn is something that we can see when we, the church, step back and recognize the hopefulness that we have if we reestablish ourselves, if we rebond ourselves to these institutions of higher education across the U.S. and across the world in the moment in which the most transformational events are taking place in the lives of our college students. In the New Testament reading, Jesus reminds us about this idea that wherever Jesus is, we must go also. A few years ago, when I was working at the University of Minnesota, I had someone in a congregation on a Sunday morning say to me after the service, it's really great that you showed up on campus because you can bring God to campus. And I said, in all due respect, ma'am, I think God was already there waiting for us to be the very voice that Ezekiel becomes in the midst of the Hebrew canon. Reflect back on that just a moment. Ezekiel is a participant in the larger story in the Hebrew canon message. Ezekiel isn't put on the sidelines, isn't asked to stay and watch, but instead told to prophesy. This is the collaboration, the cooperation that God offers into the world for us to be participants in the larger story of what's happening here. 
These stories are a reminder that we are not done here on our college campuses, that we have further places to go when we pull ourselves back and retract ourselves from the very places that the world needs us to be in. When we, the campus ministry movement, feel lost, the opportunity for resurrection and hope still is present. When we, the church, ask ourselves what it is that we are to do to serve this campus, I argue that it is to leave this building and go figure out what is most needed on our campuses. And we need to figure this out and really focus our attention on this as a church to become a part and a visible, a visible presence on our campuses because the future of American culture begins here in our institutions of higher education. We're standing here three blocks from Harvard Square, but we could be in Berkeley, California, or Seattle, Washington, or anywhere in America. The moment in which the American culture shifts happens on our college campuses, where the Civil Rights era was born, where the Vietnam protests were born, where our Black Lives Matter movements were formed. It does not matter whether you are undergrad or a grad student. These experiences shape, and we see the American landscape shaped by what we see on our college campuses. And it is our job as churches to both pay attention to this and to be involved and invested in this. And this is where we ourselves become changed by the experience, where we become the laboratory from which the future church comes and we experiment on which way it is forward that we, the church, can become. If we dissuade ourselves, if we decide, if we somehow convince ourselves that we do not need to be here and present on these institutions of higher education, if we stop believing that the Wesley Foundation movement is important, then I argue that our belief in the church and our missional approach to the world begins to die with it. And we doom ourselves as a United Methodist Church to not be relevant in the midst of the most transformational moments of our time, and we leave ourselves out of the larger discussion of the religious, secular, and spiritual landscape that is occurring and changing so dynamically in the American public. Thousands upon thousands of students come to campus every year on the proverbial fence of Christianity seeking a progressive and social-minded church, a church that is invested in the world, and we, the progressive voices of that church, can speak up and to give space for those students to find us and for us to find them. <coughs> Excuse me. It's not the prosperity gospel that is the future of the church. It is not the conservative, narrow-minded, homophobic, sexist, and narrow-minded conservative religion of the church that is the future, but rather the social gospel movement that gives hope to those many students that are seeking to bridge together intellect and faith, science and art, as we sung in our sermon and we sung in our hymn earlier. We are present on our college campuses because we are the place in which those voices can find, find communities to which to operate. We are present on our college campuses because we can offer a space for which students can tinker and become the future voices for us by showing us where to go, how to transform our churches as we go forward. We are the ones that create that. And where do we do that? Here, on universities, far and wide. Here at Harvard, at MIT, at BU, at Leslie, all of these schools in which we ourselves can be present. 
It's not that difficult to imagine a church where we live out a message and we share a message that Jesus was a Middle Eastern man who actually was a socialist, who embraced women in ministry, who sought the outcast of society, and in so doing changed the narrative that was long overdue. So as we move forward, let's put some skin on our bones. Let's resurrect some hope on campus. Let's do something and let ourselves be a voice. Let us be the progressive social justice church. And let us demonstrate once again, as we have intended so long time, such a long time ago, that we, the United Methodist Church, are invested in this field known as higher education. Let us be at the forefront and front lines of injustices of the needs of these campuses and helping our students and helping our campuses solve the complex issues of our world. Help us get those students across the finish line and into the larger society, achieving the goal of college graduation. And let us help to prepare our society with citizens who are global in their perspective and humility and morality and justice as their cornerstones. And let us show them how to make the future church by allowing our Wesley Foundations to serve as laboratories from which the future church shall come. For when we do, we live in a reclaimed mission on campus. We hold forth to our ideals, and we build a church with a foundation for the, for the future, adapting to the changing world for the benefits of all those around us which, which we seek to serve. So let us go forth into a new world to be on our campuses, and let it be so. Amen, amen, amen. Let's join now in singing on page 2238. We're going to sing the first, third, and fifth verses. Just to make sure you're on your toes. Fifth, first, third, and fifth. 2238 in the midst of new dimensions. Please stand if you're able. 